Momofuku Goods. We have two new noodle flavors out, the sweet and spicy and the spicy chili. I was wrong. I thought the spicy chili was going to do, you know, gangbusters. It's doing well, but got to say, I'm a, little, I'm a little partial because I'm partial to that flavor. And the sweet and spicy is just going, doing gangbusters. Right <laughs> Good problem to have. And you can visit us at shop.momofuku.com or you can visit us at Sprouts, Whole Foods, Target, and about many, many great supermarkets near you. Also, we have a YouTube channel that is slowly but steadily having content released every week, majordomamedia.com. You can visit there to see Christian Cooks the Internet, a lot of the stuff we've done on Recipe Club, and we're just getting started. Um, so a lot more to come. And uh, yeah, let's get on to the show. Welcome to the Dave Chang Show, part of the Ring of Podcast Network, presented by Major Dome Media. Thank you a lot, as always. If I'm sounding a little out of it, I decided to get my COVID booster yesterday and my flu shot, and it's kicking my ass. And that's not a ringing endorsement, right? It's not a ringing endorsement. Because I was scared. I was really scared of getting it. Because it's this feeling that I, I was trying to avoid. Anyway, I did it. So if I, if I sound lethargic or if I sound not up to snuff, that is, I blame everything on these boosters. But I'm glad that I did it. I just have a lot of things happening right now. It's weird that I'm traveling at a pace that I never thought was going to happen again. But I am. So pretty much from here on to the new year, I'll probably be doing this remote too. Many, many more remote episodes. And today, Chris Ying is not here. We are joined with Yuno Lee. We're going to do a three things. I think about a slice of life and ask Dave. And we're going to get into a little debate club with Yuno. We'll see. We'll see what happens. Debate club about rice-based dishes. And he's, um, he's already missing some rice dishes, I see. Oh, no. All right, we'll get on to the show. Three things I think about when I'm looking for a new place to eat. And I've been doing a lot of business in Fullerton. So there's a reason why I've been going there, not just because I do believe probably it would seem the best Korean food in America right now. And a friend of mine that is lives in Korea but also works here, and I trust. He has a tremendously good food palate, knowledgeable about all kinds of Korean cuisine, restaurants in Seoul, etc. He says one of the best restaurants he's been to, and I won't name, name it because I want to go there myself, is in Fort Lee, in New Jersey. Mm -hmm. Fort Lee, if you don't know, is a, a city just outside New York City on the other side of the river. And I got thinking that Fort Lee has probably got the best Korean food, and I think a Korean person would agree that it's Fullerton and Fort Lee for Korean food. 32nd Street is busier than ever, but it's now like so popular that I don't even know if you have to be good to be busy there. Not to say that I, I won't eat there. I'm, I'm beginning to think that K-Town is on the, the cusp of no longer being predominantly Korean food as well. I think in the next decade, you're going to see many more kinds of restaurants. It is already diverse. What are some of the restaurants in K-Town in L.A.? That are not Korean food oriented. Isn't like here's looking at you or uh yeah, I think here's looking at you's there. You got halal markets, you got Indian, you got 
all kinds of stuff. Yeah, definitely. You've got also like Antica Nuevo's there. Antico's there. Yeah, it's like it's also like a cool place, right? Like it's a cool place to open up a restaurant. Is you know, it's where folks go to get the latest and greatest. For me, when I've been going to uh, Anaheim or Fullerton or Garden Grove, three places that you know knows quite well because he's also an Orange County Republican, just like Chris Ying. Fullerton, if you don't know, over the past 30 years has become like a hotbed for Korean culture. It's like everything is in Korean there because people move there for education and and larger homes. Garden Grove is, you know, while there is a little Saigon in L.A., this is like way more. And I went to Burdard. Couple days ago again, it's like the cheesecake factory for Vietnamese food. That's such a great description. That's so on the nose. It is the cheesecake, but it's factory. better than the cheesecake factory because everything is very good there. Yes. Although I have to say that I got uh... <laughs> again. If you haven't been to Bernard, it is uh, a large menu. It's changed locations. I think there. Well, it used to be three. Now there's two. But. You don't have to have it Brodard. I love Brodard. But you go to any restaurant where English is not your first language. And I order. And I specifically order. I had, there were six of us. So I got eight orders of uh, summer rolls. Okay. Three pork, three shrimp, one ahi tuna, and one cured beef. Which... If you think about it, that's really just three pieces each, right? It seems like a lot, but most of it is filler. It's lettuce. Don't laugh. So much we ordered a few other things, a couple new dishes, crepe. They got, you know, the, the moon cake. That, that is so good, right? I don't know what to do when the summer rolls hit the table and nothing I ordered, like the quantity I ordered, was not delivered. Wait. Yeah. It was like one, it was like just a four spring rolls. Because I ordered four different types. Right. But as I was ex- explaining over and over again to the server, right. no, 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 I need two more of these. So you want two more pieces or you want two more orders? I said, no, no, two more orders. Literally got lost in translation. Uh-oh. And then, I wanted a chagao, the the fried imperial roll, this fried spring roll. And I said, can we also, I added on an order. They bring out one piece of spring roll. And I was like, do you look at, look at us. We're all gluttons here. They're too nice. They're too nice. And I'm not saying that, but this happens a lot. And I didn't make a stink of it because it's my fault for not being able to speak the language. I, that's how, how I feel. But nothing deterred me from eating everything. It was, and honestly, it was probably the right amount of food. So they knew. They knew. Yeah. But the reason I bring up Brodard is I was looking for a place to eat that was different and new. But a lot of times I have to take into consideration who I'm eating with. And, again, I'm trying to give some comp to anybody that's not been to Fullerton or Garden Grove. So it's a restaurant that you've let's just say anywhere, a restaurant that you like quite a bit, and it's in a city or area where there's a lot of other good area. You just know there's other good restaurants to eat at. But you haven't really explored it all. 
and you happen to go there, but there's a restaurant you've gone two or three times and you know it's good. As much as I wanted to go, and again, part of the thing that makes Garden Grove so great or a lot of these places that are ethnic and enclaves of a certain immigrant population is that a lot of these restaurants serve maybe one item and they specialize in one item, two tops, and maybe they have other things, but people go there for one or two items. I, uh, there was four of us. We were there for work, business, and I, I work with everyone. I know everyone's in for eating, but I didn't know. I couldn't calculate what everyone wanted. And if they're only there for like a one, one meal, I want to give them like a potpourri of everything possible, which is why a place like Brodard is so good. It has not the best version of everything, although their summer rolls are the best version. They have a little bit of everything. Noodles, rice dishes, grilled meats, etc. Even pho. And what's the one with the rice noodle soup? Chagan? Pumbahue. Uh, something like that. It's like a, it looks like a udon. I, I'm, I'm certainly pissing off Vietnamese people right now. Oh, 100%. <laughs> but, I'm, I mean, this, this preamble is to explain that I take it seriously when finding a new place to eat. And oftentimes, it's not just what I want, it's what someone else wants as well. So I can't just go get boon at a place if somebody else may not want that or they might want pho. So you almost have to go in like descending order of like the hits until you get into the more esoteric things. Not so different than like a greatest hits album or an album that has, you know, like I think like Blood on the Tracks. Like there's four or five songs by Dylan that like people know. But if you listen to it many times, you realize the whole album's awesome. But you got to go deeper and deeper. But you don't give somebody that's even though they may be familiar with the food you don't go straight into the deep track you got to go with the hits first and more often than not i find myself when i'm thinking about where to eat i have to always account for everyone else and honestly it's a bummer (laughs) (laughs) so number one that's the thing that i think about anytime i want a new place to eat it's accounting for everyone else but if it's just myself I don't, I mean, I'm going, I'm going deep. I, I, I'm, I'm in the heart of darkness. I'm going down. <laughs> what are you looking for? What are you on the lookout for when you do that? Like, are you, are you like checking, you know, the internet or are you just like, you know what? I'm going to just take the plunge. I check the internet. In fact, you know, written a lot of the reviews himself when, when he's done stuff for Eater LA, but it doesn't have to be in LA. I want to look, I'm looking for the, like the vibe of the place. Okay. Yeah. It doesn't have to be clean. There's a restaurant next to Jirong. Again, it's a famous Peking duck place in, in uh, the San Gabriel Valley. And Jirong, by the way, is one of the best Chinese restaurants. It's so good. Everything they make is very good, including the Peking duck. But there is a Vietnamese spot there right That's next right. door. Yeah. And I know nothing about it. I refuse to look. I mean, I'm, I'm just in that place. If you listen to the previous podcast, I refuse to do any Googling, yelping of anything. I'm just trying to be like, Luke Skywalker and, and, and just go without, without using any tech and I'm just going. I want to like really feel it. I looked at the group of people we ate there with a few of us last week at Jirong and if I was with you or Yang or a couple other professional gourmands, you know what would have happened? We would have eaten there first and then gone to Jirong. Yeah. But I mean, I'm with a bunch of like LA people, a couple actors that they can't eat any of this shit. So <laughs> the reason I've been eyeing this spot is I see old fucking people there. 
super old. That is past geriatric level. Okay. <laughs> it's like I don't even know what it is. Man. And the portions are massive. But they're not just huge plates of food. You get a giant plate of food and you get the bouquet of herbs, the yeah. vegetables. It's just a everything looks robust on the plate. And I, I always watch from the window. I love watching people eat. That's just something I've I brainwashed myself to do. I've conditioned myself from working in open kitchens. I love watching people eat. I learned so much from watching people eat. So this is the number two thing. Doesn't have to be busy, but I have to watch somebody eat. And if I can see pleasure and another thing, watching people eat. If they're talking, no. I want to see people heads down like they're pigs in the trough. <laughs> Occasional, like, if they're talking, like, <laughs> like, they're pointing at the food. That's what you want. Uh-huh. That's what I want. I want to see pleasure. I want to see just we're there for business and we're eating. And I want to see old people eating. And there's something about old people because, you know what? They don't, they don't have that much time left. <laughs> you know? They're not going to explore. They're not going to hope that maybe this is going to be good this time. They're going for the tried and true. And the tried and true for them may be very new to me. But I always respect your elders. And I respect their, their palate. Because they, they're not like, hey, I came here in 1980. Like, they've tasted the real thing. They know what's fucking good. And the same, same is true when I'm in K-Town. There's a gookbap place next to Antico Nuevo in, in L.A. Mm-hmm. In K-Town. What is gookbap? Gukbap is, well, the Puzan style is just pork bone broth, and uh, they give you a, you know, a little bit of pork in there, and then a bowl of rice, and it literally translates to soup rice. You just dump the the rice into the soup. They have a little uh, karegi, like a little spicy paste that you can kind of mix in and uh, make that a little bit spicier, but that's a very OG Korean dish. And I promise you guys, we are going to do the restaurant Next to the restaurant yeah, list. No, restaurant next door. Next door. <laughs> the restaurant next door. This gookbap place next to this great Italian restaurant by Chad Colby. And again, take any restaurant in any city that's hot, that's happening, and just see what's happening next door. And it's a stark contrast because here it's an Italian restaurant in a hardcore Korean neighborhood. And every time I peek into the gook, this gookbap place, literally it's a sliver of a shop next door. I don't think I've ever seen anyone under the age of 75. (laughs) And usually there's only one or two tables tops. But I'm there to eat an Antico, but I haven't figured out how to do both. But I I know. What I'm looking for, I know. I have no doubt in my mind that that gookbap is delicious. And it's also a place that probably has terrible Yelp reviews by... Basically, uh, non-Korean people going in and be like, I don't even know what this is. The service was terrible. It was all uh, separate. And, like, I tasted bland because it's supposed to be bland until you doctor it yourself. I can imagine. I haven't even looked on yet, but I'm going to imagine and understand that that's probably the case. So that's what I'm always looking for. You know, there's other variables that I'm looking for when I'm watching people eat, but it's really important to see, you know, it's the eye test. Just like any of the scouts of the NBA or coaches, you can watch game film all you want. You can look at all the stats and combine numbers, but it's the, it's the eye test. For me, the number two thing is the eye test. All right, so number one is 
The company you keep really depends on, uh, you know, where I'm going to eat. Even before I think about where, you know, it's a location, and then I'm thinking, okay, who am I with? And I have to tailor it to that. Two is the eye test. Three, the menu. It goes to the menu. This is where it's probably the least scientific approach, right? It's just a, yeah, it looks right. It looks right. It doesn't matter if it's a food stained, food crusted, plastic encased menu, right? Like a, like a trapper keeper crusted in food. It doesn't matter if it's just a sheet of paper that the menu's never changed in 20 years and the prices are just etched out. It just has to have like this, a feeling of an artifact to me when I'm looking for a new place. And this still even goes again. We talked about the three things I look for a menu anyway in a previous podcast. Right. This also is a fine dining restaurant. It's just got to have, it's got to look right. It's got to, you know, and here's the thing. It doesn't even have to be organized. Sometimes it can be chaotic and it can be confusing. It could have a lot of things. There's no rhyme or reason, but what I'm looking for is a menu that's like, yeah, that's going to be good. That's going to be good. It's not really helpful what I'm saying, but it's, I feel like it's sort of ineffable. Yeah, I, I, I can't. I, I've tried to figure out why a menu and how it reads is important to me. But it's also the feel. It's also the organization. It's also like, it just tells me so much. It's like a resume. It's like a restaurant is sending you their resume. It's like, here's, here's what we've got. Here's how we chose to communicate this to you. And, you know, it could be like, you know, like you said, just totally disorganized and a mess. And, or it could have a bunch of photos in it. I will say one thing that I noticed is if it has a lot of photos and it looks really glitzy, like I'm a little No, like, no, 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 no. I'm pro photos. Really? Oh, yeah. I'm a I'm little pro, bit kind of like, oh, I'm pro know, photos. Man. Just, this is the greatest hits. This is what you're going to get. Don't, don't bother the waiter. We're here for efficiency. Actually, yeah. I just thought of a restaurant that kind of disproved it. It was Hokey Cafe. They've got like the photos and they're like, these are our specials. I guess also what I'm looking for a menu is, are there items where I don't know what it is? Have they dumbed it down for an audience that is coming there? Hmm. Are they putting dishes on the menu that inevitably are for people that know the cuisine? Right? That most people may not order. I don't mind a menu that has a menu that is literally like to like siphon off all the posers, right? I don't mind that at all. Just keep the restaurant's job easier. But I guess what I'm looking for, are they selling things that are not necessarily esoteric, but it's not being dumbed down, right? It's not romanticized in English. It's, it is what it is. And <laughs> I really don't want an English menu that, not to say that you can't, but that's yeah. not what I like. Yeah. I would rather try to type it into Google and be like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely. Things that I can't pronounce, even if it's an Italian restaurant, I'm like, I have no idea what that is. I'm like, oh, it's a pasta shape. Yeah. I, I look for things that I have no understanding of. That's good. You know what has a high success rate for me is those uh, the placemat menu at the Korean restaurants. Mm. It's just like Love it. there's like eight things on there. I, I guess a you know three B or four. And I know we're doing top three. What I look for is, I think ultimately it always ties into does this place care? 
Are they doing something so unnecessary? Right? It literally, I guess the best way to describe it is this is not necessarily a menu. This is probably, you know, more pragmatic use for somebody going to use this top three list to not to disregard everything I just said about the menu. But if you are looking at a restaurant and you can find something that they're doing, and what they're doing is this, it's important to like decipher this. They're spending so much time doing this particular thing, and it could be anything. But it's done by scratch. And I know it got misinterpreted that I don't like things homemade. That's not necessarily true, but because if you can execute it well, yes, we should want that. But a lot of places don't even like market that. And what I mean by is, if they replaced it with something that is pre-purchased and there's no difference in the quality, like really most people wouldn't even know that it's uh, not as good. They can't. Good example is Hamlet's Kitchen. <laughs> they make their own charcoal. They, they don't buy charcoal. They make their own charcoal beginning of the day. And they're constantly making charcoal throughout the day. If you look at the menu, there's no <laughs> homemade this and this and that. No. The one thing they take pride in is the charcoal. I think that if they bought charcoal, it would not have made a difference whatsoever. No one would fucking know. But they do it because they have to. In fact, if they bought charcoal, they'd make more money, they'd have a happier work-life balance, et cetera, et cetera. But they are compelled to do so. That is what I'm looking for. Is someone embracing the absurd, the absurdly stupid almost, and are they doing it with gusto because they have to? That to me is maybe the most important thing when I'm looking for a new place, when I'm like scoping it out, are they doing something that just doesn't make any fucking sense? Because if they do that, then they care and it's probably going to be great. And it's not just Hamlet's Kitchen. It could be like anything. Like, I mean, if someone made like homemade jajangmyeon sauce, which is a Korean black bean, I don't think most customers would even know the difference. I mean, most. Yeah, definitely. But it's a pain in the ass. It's a huge pain in the ass. Right? Yeah. There's a lot of places, I won't say who, that buy their kimchi from Korea. They do. And it's awesome. But I'm just jealous because I don't do that. <laughs> but they do it. Yeah. Right? And, and you know, I, I think about Corey at Bennu. He's making all his own jangs. I, I honestly don't think that it matters. I, I understand why it matters because there's great control. And at that level of execution, you need it. But 90% of the clientele, they wouldn't know quality if it fucking sat on their face. They would no fucking idea. Especially since Corey has great connects to Korea, he could just get it in. Yeah. But he does it anyway. I think that matters. And again, I'm not trying to say like doing it homemade but not marketing it. I think that's a huge thing. So those are my those are my three things that I look for. Four things. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty good. What about you? What about you? I was at a restaurant last night that had a lot of homemade, housemade things on the menu, <laughs> and I kept I kept thinking about this conversation. But was it good? It was really good. Did, should I say where it was? Or yeah. should uh, it's Bestia in LA. <laughs> it's, you know. But Bestia's listen. Bestia's a a, a, a proven OG. That, that that's kind of their shtick is everything's kind of made you know in house and they 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 care like like 
you're saying they care like a lot that's why people eat there but it's it's really <laughs> of all the places that's not what i'm i don't think that's what you're referring to when you're saying like don't tell me that the bread is house made it's like bro man we got to find other restaurants but unfortunately i'm here in la right now and i don't want this to be so la centric yeah for sure yeah but um no i mean you're gonna be on the road a lot and i know you're probably not gonna get a chance to eat um at places that you choose you're probably gonna have to like you know go wherever you know whoever's having you is is having you but um i was just i was wondering if you were thinking about that so pretty helpful tips i think the old person thing is definitely real dude old people it's so real no yo yeah trust the ogs man like trust your ogs like especially if they're like not talking to anybody and they're just like eating by themselves i'm like this is your one happy moment this this thing must must be amazing all right guys uh, we'll take a break. This episode is brought to you by Pure Leaf Iced Tea. Great iced tea takes you somewhere else like new Pure Leaf Blackberry Iced Tea that we have here at the Spotify Studios and drink quite a bit where unexpectedly blackberry flavor transports you to a berry delicious place. So refreshing you may never want to leave. You will eventually have to though, but take your time. Try new Pure Leaf Blackberry Iced Tea. Visit Amazon.com slash Pure Leaf and enter 20 Pure Leaf. That's 20 Pure Leaf for 20% off your purchase of new Pure Leaf Blackberry Iced Tea. Apple Card is the perfect cash back rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co forward slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch, subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Slice of life. So... Upon flying back from my fishing trip in Mexico, and I didn't post a picture of permit that I caught. I caught three. I caught more than anyone in my group. But they were not big. They were not big. They were not big. And um, I was was upset about that. It's never the fish you catch to the fish you don't catch. But (laughs) Cancun Airport, by the way, sucks. It is the worst fucking airport in the world. One of the worst airports in the world. It's, It's just... Put it this way. If If you get a seat... At the late, great Jimmy Buffett's Margaritaville, you're like, man, this is going to be good. (laughs) (laughs) Like, that's how bad it sucks. Oh, man. Because your next option is a Harley Davidson Cafe. What's wrong with the Harley Davidson Cafe? I'm not even there. (laughs) That sounds awful. (laughs) And there's no place to sit. Anyway, I sound extremely privileged, but I don't care. It sucks. The, The airport sucks. Anyway, flying back, I'm sitting in the aisle seat, and there's a couple that comes on board, and I feel like a lot of these slices of life are plain, plain stories. Somebody looks at me. They both sort of look at me because they are separated. The male of the group has to, is sitting in the middle to me. Which I definitely am not going to say. And her, his partner is on the aisle. Right? So it's like they could ask both of us. They could ask two people to do it. So the other person immediately on the, on the, uh, on the window is p- sleeping. Immediately. Of course. Like, of course. I, was just, I was like, damn it. What a of smart course. move. You can't wake them up. Yeah. They're out. 
right? They even got the neck pillow. <laughs> and I'm like, man, I, I, I should just, you know, it's a quick flight back to L.A. Yeah. I'm like, I'm not going to get in the middle seat. I'm not. Yeah. I'm not going to. I'm not. There's no way in hell I'm going to get in a middle seat. Yeah. And because up front, right? So it's yeah. like there's nowhere else to go other than somebody's got to sit in the middle. And anyway, they look at me and I say, so they're split up. They're both in the middle. And I'm on the aisle. And I'm, I'm thinking to myself, well, they clearly look at me like, hey, hey. They didn't say anything. They didn't even do this. Mm-hmm. But they're looking at me like, you're one row ahead of each other. It's okay. Mm-hmm. You, you've just spent all week in vacation land. You don't have to be next to each other. And you know what I did? I just put my head down. <laughs> I put my head down. And I just looked at my phone and I just, I pretended they didn't exist. <laughs> Nicely done. Nicely done. If you really care about your and, relationship. And the dude sat next to me and I'm like, this is the way it's going to be, man. The game is a game. Like, if you care, right, book it in advance. Like, their seat selection. Book it. Pay for it. You know, like, just maybe maybe you need to care about The only time more. I would do this is if it was a child <laughs> to be reunited with their family. But that's okay. like even a stretch. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But I don't appreciate it when people assume that you're going to do it. It's an assumption that you're going to get up and do it. I'd also say if it's an an elderly couple, yeah. Really? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But an elderly couple knows to book their seats together. Like they're smart. But enough I to think for whatever money. reason they couldn't. Yeah. Right. Also, we were in the economy plus, so there's more. That's why I think they got upgraded to economy plus. Okay. Or something. I don't know because they weren't. You would have done done that, but I think usually this happens when. There's a a delay, planes get combined, et cetera, et cetera. Right, right. Okay. Yeah. Wait, so elderly couple, yes, you will give up. You will Depends sit in the on middle. How old. Depends on how old. I guess the other things are if they have like an oxygen tank, if they have some kind of <laughs> handicap. This is like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's about it. Handicap. Old child, and you're saying children like borderline. I mean, like if it's an like how old? How old is like too old? Teenager, absolutely fucking (laughs) anything above anything above like seventh to eighth grade above. Yeah, yeah, no, no way. Yeah, no dice. No way. But it's the couples. It's the married couples. It's the people that are in a relationship that expect not. And listen, it's not just me. This has happened to a lot of people on a flight. Hey, it's the nod. It's the, no, I'm not doing it. I refuse. Am I the bad person? And How, listen, even if it wasn't the middle seat, okay. if there are two aisle seats, I wouldn't oh. do it. No fucking way. Ooh. I'm not getting up. I have all my shit. You know, I'm I'm good. And now if I do have to go up, my bag's over there behind yeah. me. And then, no, I'm not doing it. I would say that inconvenience is a lot more minor than the having to switch to a middle seat, right? It's like I'm not I'm not giving up my aisle seat for a middle seat 
for you to sit next to your girlfriend slash wife slash partner etc right like i'm not doing that but if it's the same seat you know they're both like not front row not exit row which for me is already i'm in i'm probably really pissed off if i'm not in the exit row um yeah i'll do it just do i mean i've been in a situation where it's when a a group of family members are flying together and they all want to be grouped together Uh that's another he's like no where are they gonna go you're on the same fucking metal can like just chill the fuck out (laughs) Yeah. And how long is the flight? Does that does that factor? It was like an hour, 30 minutes. Oh, fucking come on, Dave. <laughs> That's a drive from here to San Diego, dude. <laughs> come on. No, it was longer. Than, it was longer than that. Okay. Actually, what am I saying? It was, it was like a, the, whole, the reason why this flight totally got fucked because mm. of uh, the storm system on the East Coast. A lot of things got shut down. Uh, okay. Anyway, you guys have all been there. I would like to know your thoughts. Clearly, you're staying in your seat. Yes. How about you guys? I used to always like move. Yeah, me too. Whatever. I, I don't like conflict. Uh, just like, sure, fine. But I had an experience where I went from like someone did the thing and approached me, hey, my partner's up here. Do you mind if we switch seats? Whatever. I went from having like a, a seat in row like 12 or 13, like main cabin, but still like towards the front of the plane, to second to last row on the plane next to a newborn baby that cried for like the whole five hour flight. So now I, now it's like a negotiation thing. Like I, I need to know where your seat is before I agree to like, and also like who is around that seat. What if you said how much? Ooh, maybe that's a, maybe that's, that's what the, we that's should the do. Play. How the much? Play. That's the play. Maybe that's what we should do. Maybe we should standardize that. How much? Yeah. Venmo me. Apple pay me. This fe- I mean this feels like the Southwest thing where it's just like any seat could be yours. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like. Uh, it's science eating like no but what i don't appreciate because i'm 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 i've experienced this now a few times why am i the asshole right and i also feel that it's the other people that are now sitting down peer pressuring you to be like just get up man and now i'm the asshole i don't think that's appropriate they're the assholes don't judge me do your fucking your own shit i'm taking crazy pills i don't i don't even know like people think that you're the asshole so i just like like my assumption is like i'm not getting up for you you're you're fucking out of your mind right like i'm not switching with you to a middle seat do you see that i'm six and a half it doesn't even have to be middle seat to be any seat yeah i just don't think that it's appropriate for me to get up <laughs> fair enough this is a good one yeah what what is the solve to this conundrum oh how about you You've got to master the fake sleeping as soon as you get to your seat on the plane. I've mass- I'm that person that's already like, like just fake so asleep. That's the move, when you right? sit- yeah, that's the move. <laughs> what if they woke you up, Victoria? What if you? So if you don't understand, you're sitting down right when you sit down. You you pretend to knock yourself out. You are just a narcoleptic and you're out. What if they wake you up and they're like, "Excuse me, excuse me, excuse me," and you wake up. What would your response be? I think I would be so in shock. And then I guess I would have to negotiate as well. Like, who are the people? Like, is it a child? Is it a... But you would definitely look. Nobody nobody does it unconditionally, right? No one says, would you switch? No one says, yeah, I I will unconditionally switch. It's You are now judging them by who it is. If it is a couple of the same age and they're, you know, newlyweds or something like that. 
Yeah, I'd probably get up. Um, it's tough when you see that it's the middle seat, though, for sure. It's like a little reluctancy to. What if there. it's not the middle seat? What if it's an aisle seat? Yeah, I'd switch them for the aisle. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. You'd switch for them? Yeah. I'd switch. That's a decent person right there. You got to think about bag placement, though, right? You got your carry on in the overhead. Yeah, the bag placement's a huge thing. If if someone's asking you to move forward and your bag's right above you, then when you land, you got to like wait till everyone gets off. And, then, and yeah. it's an important thing to note because by the time that bag switch happens, all the 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 all the, the forward ones are occupied. Yeah, everything up top, yeah. all the storage is now filled up, and yeah. now you get fucked. So I. I, I you know, Victoria, I think that uh, I don't agree with you, and I think you're wrong. In fact, maybe sl- pretending sleeping is actually worse, right? How's it worse? She's hoping she never gets asked. Right. I don't believe that Victoria gets up. It's a it's a funnel. It's like I don't think funnel. she gets up. I think Victoria will pr- stay asleep. <laughs> <laughs> She's not getting up. Oh, what kind of? asshole wakes you up to switch seats with you like, but again if somebody did i still don't believe victoria's like right away yeah I'm gonna, <laughs> i don't believe that yeah i don't know but yeah she just never give me any indication that she wouldn't switch seats like if if it was this if it was equivalent seats yeah i i don't know so for me i'm i don't want to sound like a terrible person but no i'm not doing it i'm not doing it and another thing i don't understand is if i recline my seat why am i the asshole Right? Oh. When the person behind me is also reclining their seat. You know what I mean? Max. It's this chain reaction of hypocrisy here. This is like, yeah, being in a concert that is seated, and if one person stands up, yeah. the row behind them is like, okay, fuck, I gotta, we're going to stand up now, I guess. And that, like, that's, I think, if you are reclining, though, and the person in front of you is not, I th- I'm looking at you a little weird on the plane. That if you're not reclining, right? I, what I'm saying is, it's a, if if the person in front is if the person in front of you is reclining, you have no choice. Like you have to recline, right? But if the person in front of you isn't, and then you recline all the way back, I understand. But the situation that I am explaining, describing, everyone is reclining their seat, mm-hmm. but the person that's offended, right, is in a reclined position. But they're mad that the person in front of them is reclining as well. Oh, okay. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Th- then you've lost the high ground. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. they're always like, ah. They're like, are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> and I look back and I'm like, you're reclining too? <laughs> Fuck you, dude. <laughs> oh, my gosh. That's, that's real though. Wait, Corey, do you check? Like when you, when, you see, when you see someone recline in front of you, do you just like check for sanity? Like, hey, is the person in front of you reclined? Because if not, fuck you. Like... Oh, yeah, I check. And also, like, I, you know, we're tall guys. So, like, yeah. we a lot of times don't have a choice. It's like, all right, well, <laughs> if you're going to do this, then I have to do it, too. And then, like, the people, yeah, I don't know. It's a chain reaction thing. The number of times I've flown coach. I mean, again, you're, you're a six, seven behemoth. So yeah. I, would, thing, I would never fly. I would just take boats. Oh, my God. <laughs> you know how to develop anger and haunt in me? Is make me fly. Make me fly coach. Like, I just. It's, you have to fly business. You're I too can't. big. I literally just like, you know, even at a startup and stuff like you're trying to save money. So you, I just won't. But like, it sucks. Like, I try to go for the exit row and now they're like charging for it and they're charging like hundreds of dollars sometimes for the exit row. And I'm just like, oh, fuck. Well, that's one, another case why you shouldn't be tall. But if you did decide 
as you should have to play ball, maybe you'd be flowing around on a charter plane because you're, you know, so athletically <laughs> gifted. But you squandered that. I love the word squandered. Like, there was nothing there. <laughs> there was nothing there. Anyway, that's the new rule. Okay. This is the new rule. Don't get up for anybody. Don't be a good Samaritan because there's no paying it back. There's no paying it forward. Just, just be selfish. It's okay to be selfish. Don't pretend to fucking virtue signal like, oh, you're a good fucking person. Just stay in your fucking seat. I like that. See the anger being typed right now. <laughs> That's Ask Dave at MajorDomoMedia.com, folks. This episode is brought to you by Vital Farms. No matter how you like your eggs scrambled, over easy, or sunny side up, the people at Vital Farms believe in one thing, keeping it bullshit free. That's why their pasture-raised eggs come from hens who each have over 108 square feet of space to roam and forage all year round. So you can spend less time questioning your food and more time enjoying it. Look for Vital Farms in your grocery store and learn more at vitalfarms.com. Vital Farms, keeping it bullshit free. Apple Card is the perfect cash back rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co forward slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch, subject to credit approval, terms apply. This episode is brought to you by cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. We got an Ask Dave titled... Restaurant merch, should it be more of a thing? Hi, guys. First time, long time. My question is, why is that the pro- proper uh, grammar? My question is semicolon? It's not a semi. It's a regular colon, but I don't I know. I mean, a colon? Yeah. I mean, you could do it without the colon. Right? I would delete it, yeah. So, Alex. Why, do, why don't world-renowned restaurants have a merch shop as you're walking out? Question mark. I'm not talking golf pro shop blowout, but just a couple times. Imagine a crisp polo with an embroidered French laundry pin on it. Who's not paying $120 for that? By the way, it wouldn't be $120. It would be like $375. <laughs> for that after an incredible experience of food and wine. Is it pandering? Yes. Is it a great idea? I also think yes. Let me know. I feel that many restaurants choose not to have a gift shop. At least in the restaurant because it's it ruins the experience. A restaurant, especially one that is a multi-course tasting and you're spending above $500 a person, which is, you know, a tremendous amount of money. At minimum, they're already doing the, the, the silent vacuum to you. They're just sucking all this money from you <laughs> already that they don't need to then say, oh, on the way out. You don't even know it. You're getting your money taken away from you on the supplements, wine markups, et cetera, et cetera. Part of the reason is you're trying to make this cocoon of not having to think about anything. And when you have to pay for another thing, 
I think that takes you out of this convivial, wonderful dining experience. It's one of the good things about paying before you even enter. It's like it's one more thing that you remove, right? Because the only thing about, you know, celebrating, you celebrate because of the sacrifice and the hardship. And now that celebrating instead of like, you know, slaughtering a a lamb (laughs) is now – it's the price of your bill. You don't it, that sticker shock, no matter who you are, I think always takes you out of the zone mm. of man, I've just been pampered. This has been amazing. Ah, man, I can't wait to like think about this meal forever. The moment you get the check, it's like, oh, it's real, you're out. Mm. And then on the way out, you got to spend more money. I, I'm not saying restaurants won't want to do that, I think every restaurant would. But it cheapens the experience. And if you think about the restaurants that do have merch shops, we spoke about the late, great Jimmy Buffett. Margaritaville is basically a merch shop. Mm-hmm. Forrest Gump. Bubba Gump. Bubba Gump yeah. is a merch shop. Hard Rock Cafe, it's a merch shop. Many restaurants that are about selling merch as part of their main, like one of their main drivers of income, that's like built into it. But nobody's thinking about those restaurants as paradigms of finesse. And no matter how wonderful a dining experience is, I think it does cheapen it. And it's not like when you go to a resort of some sort, mm-hmm. a lot of those gift shops are like in the spa or on the side room, and that's okay, or in a hotel. Like it's transactional already. Mm-hmm. But I feel like if you make the dining experience transactional more than just paying the bill, it ruins it. I think the one, the one item that can sort of be seen as okay to sell as a cookbook within mm-hmm. that restaurant. But like if you started selling all the knives and stuff, I think that starts to if you start selling hats. So one thing, we've never sold our hats at our restaurants or our t-shirts at our restaurants. Um, I think we do now, but maybe it's only online. So I maybe you can do it as an online experience. And I think a lot of restaurants do it that way to keep it sort of separation of church and state so yeah while it's a good idea and i'm sure restaurants will like it i think the benefit of the short term it's just it's more short-term oriented and it's not creating any brand value long term which is why a place like the french laundry wouldn't do it and i would also not speak on behalf of them it just would seem too tacky for them because they can get you on a 175 dollar wagyu supplement (laughs) or more or something like that. It's like, that's just. <laughs> just give away showbiz, yeah, that's David. It's like, cool. <laughs> what? Just give away showbiz. That's cool, man. Like, But it's true. <laughs> the supplements. I have a love-hate relationship with supplements. Yeah. <laughs> Part of me is like, just put it on the menu. But I also respect like, man, if you can get away with it, do it all fucking day. <laughs> it's like, shit, caviar supplement. Uh, white truffle. $800 supplement? It's like. All right. That's the way it is. That's the way it goes. So, yeah, I'm not saying it's not a good idea, Alex, but I think depending on the place you're eating, and you bring up the one example is, you know, one of the real institutions of destination dining in in Yauntville, California, I think it takes it away. But I would probably argue, I bet you if you went to Ad Hoc, his uh, more fried chicken casual spot, or if you went to uh, Bouchon, I think the lower the price point, there's a higher correlation towards merch selling, basically. 
But none of the higher-end spots I know of would ever sell that. And on the other hand, they give you that take-home gift too, right? So, oh, that's right. You know, yeah. maybe, they, maybe, they should, maybe it should be something where they give it to you, right? Yeah. But it's way more cost-effective to give you a bag of granola and a fancy bag. <laughs> it's always the fancy bag. That's it's always a fancy bag <laughs> full of swag that you're never going to use. And I, I honestly, like, this is with every fancy restaurant. That swag bag that you get home is never fucking great. It's never great. But it is like it serves a similar purpose to a a polo, right? Where it's like, hey, I ate here, and here's this I mean, thing. I know that some of my friends will probably get upset because there's a lot of time that goes into these bags. And if you don't know, <laughs> not everyone's eating at these kinds of restaurants. A lot of these super high end, very ambitious restaurants. Not all of them. Uh, many restaurants just get the fuck out. We're good. But a lot of them give you a bag of something to take home, and. More often than not, it's some kind of granola or some kind of bread or sticky bun or, you know, something, right? Spice, salt. This is what we've used in some of the meal, like the dishes you've had today as a reminder. On one hand, I think it's a good marketing tool because sometimes you use it. And oftentimes it's always delicious. But like, I mean, you're, I, I, it's really a cost-effective way. Of doing the same thing, of being like, you know, look how much we've given you, but really cost us nothing. <laughs> Is that a, telling everyone a trade secret? <laughs> I don't think it's a trade secret. I think it's just more of like, yeah, you do definitely want someone to remember your meal by. And like, you know, for some folks, it's a little box of matches. And again, nothing beats going to Shima where it's not like a takeo mag. It's literally a like a hundred seventy dollars steak sandwich <laughs> with all the trimmings. <laughs> And again, I'm going to say this again for anyone that goes to Tokyo. And again, I'm so mad at myself that when we put it on Ugly Delicious, many people would go to Shima Steakhouse and just order the steak sandwich without sitting and having a proper meal. And you guys are fucking them. You should sit down and spend the money and then earn the steak sandwich. They are so kind, the owners and the chef, that they'll do it. But don't go to Shima. Do not go to Shima Steakhouse and ask for a steak sandwich without spending money elsewhere first. But that is the best take-home gift of all time. Also, key, I'm just going to give my Tokyo tip. If you happen to be traveling Tokyo, you should eat at Shima Steakhouse your last night in Tokyo. Why? Why? You should call ahead to ensure that you're going to get a steak sandwich, right? And when you do get the steak sandwich, as much as you want to eat it, do not eat it. You should eat it at 30,000 feet, right above, right at, right when you're leaving Japanese airspace. Do you consume that? Because you put it in your, even if your hotel doesn't have a, a mini fridge or something, it's going to be fine. I know that seems like it's in the danger zone. It's okay. <laughs> it's going to make it taste, it's taste going. It's still going to be healthy. It's still going to be fine. It's probably no more than like eight hours room temp. I know that's not like, don't, don't hold me to that. But if you can refrigerate it, you should. But their steak sandwich is one of the best things. And it's done after all these years, the Shima steak sandwich. Because a lot of times it's the, the trim. Originally started because of the trim that they cut. So when you order steaks, these, this, this amazing steakhouse, and yes, there are more fancy. They're definitely fancier, more expensive steakhouses. But Shima's very near and dear to me. 
they bring whatever cut it is that day of the cow from the Shima's family. I can't remember the prefecture. You get the tenderloin, ribeye, sirloin, whatever they have. They show you the proof of birth. And then they cut it and then they weigh it for you. And they're like, that's your, that's your meal. And it's pretty straightforward. You get a salad and you get some, some house-made bread and you get your steak. But the trim from that process of breaking it down is what gets used more often than not in the steak sandwich. And it's milk bread. It's really, again, nothing really crazy about it, but it's just a whole process that's beautiful. What's dawned on me when eating this sandwich, sometimes he'll just break down and cook whole, like, sirloin, too, because if there's enough demand, it tastes like a Big Mac. For anyone that's had a Shima steak sandwich, it's dawned on me, it tastes exactly like a Big Mac. Because he's mustard, he has a tomato concasse, like a compote in there. It's mustardy, but not really... I know the what thing I'm describing makes no sense, but if you think about a f- super fluffy, sturdy bread, white bright bread with like half an inch to an inch of beautifully seasoned, seared, rare Wagyu, and then it's pressed and it's in a little bento box, and you get three slices of this. And the reason why I say you want to let it sit is you want that whole thing to almost turn into one. It becomes one piece. It's almost like eating like a, like a protein bar, you know, just like one, <laughs> one thing. And it's just one of the best bites of food you can have. And I think that that eating that in the air on the way home or wherever you're going is the best way for me to always remember my trip in Japan, in Tokyo. It's because it is fucking amazing, <laughs> but don't go there. Just do not go to the Shima and just get the steak sandwich. Don't. All right, we'll take a break. Dave, I want your top five rice based dishes. Uh, we got, you know, jambalaya, risotto, fried rice, all the Japanese dons, uh, curry rice, biryani, bibimbap, uh, paella, arroz con pollo. I'm probably missing a few. Tadig, you know. But I'm going to go straight out and say what Jose got. Jose Andres got so fucking mad at me. Really mad. The most I've ever seen him mad at me when I jokingly, but not jokingly, said paella is the most overrated rice dish in the world. You know what I'd rather have? Fideos. I, it's not that a paella can't be delicious, but I don't think the juice is worth the squeeze on paella. <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm going to eat it every time. I'm going to eat it every time, and please don't fucking at me on this. I'm just saying, like, I find it overrated compared to everything else. It's, it's fucked up. I, I love ag- Spain. I agree with you. <laughs> I love Spain. And don't say it's all because of this, uh, like, the Valencia style, the this and that. I, listen, it's all good. I'm not saying paella is bad. In fact, I will always eat paella. But it's a lot of work. And for what, I'm just telling you, man, like, when you eat it, the trailer of the ma- making it, right, is the, really the trailer. And it's the fucking amazing trailer. But when you watch the movie, you're like, it's really good. But the trailer was better than the fucking movie. And that's what I'm saying paella is. For me. And am I a world-class expert in paella? No. But I have I had it many times in my life? Yes. 
Have I had it in some of the best places in Spain? Yes. Have I had it in all the best places in Spain? No. Am I also a Philistine? Maybe I'm missing the whole thing? Yes. I'm not saying it's not delicious, please. I'm just saying when you watch the process being made over the fire, wood, that sick pan, and all of this thing happening, it's like watching an amazing movie trailer. But the trailer's so good that the movie doesn't exceed the trailer experience. And that's all I'm saying. can, Can both things be true here? It's a delicious experience, but the preparation and making of it is so fucking intoxicating that it doesn't trump the actual consumption eating the gustatory pleasure of it. That's what I'm trying to say. And because of that, it's a little bit of a letdown for me. And that's why I say it's a little bit overrated. There's just some things you don't say to certain people, and I feel like telling Jose Andres that paella is overrated. Is I did as a joke, and I also said it as a joke. But, but like, come on. <laughs> I mean, I get pissed off if someone said bibimbap is overrated, but I'd be like, you're right. It is bibimbap. <laughs> oh, wow. yeah, I mean, bibimbap is what white people get at, at restaurants. Tell me I'm wrong. <laughs> it is, but it's the reason why people like it. It's good. Hot bibimbap uh-huh. is what non-Korean people get at a Korean restaurant. Doesn't mean it's good. Doesn't mean it's not good. Yeah. But it doesn't mean it's what you go there for. When's the last time you ordered dolso bibimbap? Because yeah. honestly, people aren't eating cold bibimbap, which is delicious. But people are going there for hot. You get the nurongji. And every rice culture in the world has crunchy rice on the bottom. Yeah. Right? Sokarat, it's Tarik Polo. Tarik. Yeah. And there's a few other names. Nurongji is what it's called in Korean culture. Those are bibimbap. I again, it's a good example. It's delicious, but it's like it, it's, I'm saying it's overrated too. So come at me, Spanish people, Korean people. You already hate me. I'm just saying bibimbap is overrated. It's overrated. It's not nearly as good when you put it into comparison of everything else that you can order. Because I can't tell you the last time I had bibimbap, I ordered bibimbap. And it's a terrible dish for kids. It's too hot. It's too hot. You You can't can't do it. You can't touch it. It looks cool. They want it, but it's not. You know what? You know what's very similar to? Again, fajitas, even though it's not rice based. (laughs) Fajitas very, very much got that trailer thing going on, too. It's sizzling. It smells great. You're like, dude, that's going to be sick. And I'm not saying it's not good, but is it as good as the anticipation of it? The answer is no. Yeah. Right? Bibimbap, again, we're making a special uh, special uh, inclusion of fajitas, right? Maybe it's the fajita principle we're talking about, right? Maybe. Nothing is better than a scorching hot plate of sizzling, sizzling yeah. that smell. And when you get it, you're like, yeah, I've had this a lot. You know what dish I think actually might fly in the face of this principle is the Vietnamese turmeric fish. You, you know what I'm talking about? The jagat. I don't know. Yo, yeah, that one, like, you can smell it from the kitchen. It, when we were able to go we're back to the We're talking about ones that don't kitchen. deliver on the promise, though. All right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. This That's is the one only one that does. that does. So I'm putting bibimbap. I'm, listen, I'm an equal hater here. <laughs> bibimbap and paella are in the same boat of both delicious things, but the hype is bigger than the actual dish itself. All right. All right. I'm going to tell you. None of those, though, are as overrated as because <laughs> it is. I, this should be the top five. We're doing the top five simply by going over the things that I'm not going to be on the list. Fuck risotto. 
I'm with you. Risotto is a crock of shit. <laughs> it is a scam. It is a lie. I think it's an inside joke for all Italian people. I do. I really think it's an inside joke. It's like, how can we... Every time they come back to the kitchen, even if it's in like a grandma coming in, it's like, dude, you won't believe how raw I sent this rice out. You won't believe... You won't believe that they think this is the way you're supposed to eat rice. I mean, if, imagine if I'm saying that in Italian. It's like... And, you know, they drop it and they say buongiorno and they walk away and they're like, <laughs> 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 the fact that they keep the fact that a server can or captain can keep a straight face <laughs> while at the table and they're shaving parmesan over your risotto <laughs> and not break dude that's sick acting man that's real method oh, acting oh, shit. because i really think that it's a joke I mean, I've had to make a lot of risotto in my life, and every time I taste it, I'm like, I don't know about this. Don't do this. I don't, I'm like, I don't know. I don't know about this. You know, I've had great risotto. I even had Ducasse's risotto where it whips whipped cream, and it folds in the cream, so it, that, that fat aerates, and it covers every kernel. But every time I eat rice, and I think I know rice, I'm a product of rice eating. I think I'm allowed to say that. I'm like... I think that could be go. That could be cooked some more. <laughs> oh, fuck. oh man. Okay, we need to find out when this episode's dropping so I can hire security and like lock my doors. But I just, 100%. is it okay for me not to to say that I don't like risotto? Oh my god. <laughs> and you know why? It's a, it's it's a it's a it's a marketing sort of like collusion amongst Italian people about this dish because you're like. Yeah, you know when it's probably cooked? When we sell it as an arancini. Truth. <laughs> now we're going to make double the money, quadruple the money on this. We're going to cook it more, and now it's properly fried. So you would think theoretically, right? Arancini, if you don't know, is a rice ball that's coated in breadcrumbs and fried. Sometimes there's like cheese stuff in the center. <laughs> the, the history of it, I'm pretty sure, is leftover Risotto turns into arancini. Now, just the logic here is this. <laughs> Here's the delta. If the rice was properly cooked, then arancini should be overcooked by the time it's served. Yes. But it's not. You eat, <laughs> you eat arancini, you're like, damn, that's good. I love arancini. It's so good. I'm like, even bad arancini, I'm like, damn, that's good. And I chew it, I'm like, yeah, man, that's really good. I don't feel like I'm missing a tooth. <laughs> so is risotto just undercooked arancini? Every time and listen. Because <laughs> I know my Italian friends and, you know, I'm really close with Massimo and he's going to punch me in the face. <laughs> Massimo Bature, I am so sorry. <laughs> but like there are times when I'm like so excited to get a, a, a risotto. Made by some of the best chefs in the world. And I do think, like, I'm eating, I'm like, oh, oh you... <laughs> <laughs> Because, like, again, part of this is I understand it is cultural. 
I 100% understand it's cultural. So if you pull a pull things, pull, pull quote this out, yeah. I understand that it's cultural. It's the same thing. It's like anything else in culture where you have a dish that is specific to the region, mm. right? You know, like eating fermented shark in Scandinavia or eating stinky tofu in Taiwan or China, mm. eating um, durian or. Durian yeah. or um, Chorangol or something like that. Chonggukjang. Chonggukjang, yeah. excuse me. Something like super stinky, something. I put risotto in that pantheon of foods that can be delicious if you're really in tune with what's happening. But I don't I like objectively that. I like think that. that risotto, for the most part, is awesome. I will say that risotto, when made inauthentically by kitchens that are not great, He's usually more delicious to me. Because <laughs> it's like clearly overcooked. Yes. <laughs> this risotto has been hammered, right? Yeah, like hammered. <laughs> in fact, in fact, I've made a lot of you're not supposed to make risotto from when I say supposed, what the hell do I know? Clearly, but theoretically, you're supposed to make risotto from scratch because of the starch content. You're supposed to take it from raw. You're supposed to have brunoise of onions in olive oil, then you toast the rice, then you're slowly adding in liquid, mm -hmm. and then you're stirring it up to release the starch content, to thicken that out, and then you add the fat, right? Fat is hugely important. So then, you know, that's really the base, and it can be a lot of different flavors that you could add in, both from the, the, the liquids and the fats and the proteins, but oftentimes I think risottos are great. I, I'm going to say that. I've had great risottos, but I just think it's overall funny to talk about. It's a joke. Maybe not. <laughs> um You're supposed to take it from raw to cooked. Right. I actually prefer the sandbag way, where you par cook the risotto. <laughs> I do, and many restaurants do this because yeah. you, to cook a risotto, you can't do this in a busy New York City restaurant from scratch. Yeah. You can do this if you're at a small 24 seat restaurant and you're doing one turn. Yeah, everything should be fucking from start to finish, no sandbag. But when you have to do the three to four turns, like I would be shocked. If a risotto is made from scratch, where I say scratch, from raw to finished in one continuous cooking time. Yeah. Many times risottos are started with like maybe the first or two additions of liquid and then put on a parchment paper sheet tray and cooled and then you finish it. I actually prefer it that way because it has more time to not be so <laughs> undercooked and al dente. That's just me. Man. <laughs> I think I'm in a lot of trouble. We're definitely in a lot of trouble, but uh, it's all right. It's all right. All right. We'll I, I'm going to quickly give you my top five now that those are out. Oroz con pollo or every variation of that. Delicious. Yeah. Delicious. So good. Again, I learned a lot of that from the Dominicans and Mexicans to some degree. There are a lot of variations of that within Latin culture. I love it. The version I learned was with capers, and tomato paste, and chicken bouillon. It's so good. I love it. Biryani is really good. Biryani is so good. Whether it's, you know, northern with a lot of meat or not, it's good. I, 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 I love it. It's so, so good. It's, it's a, just an amazing dish, right? A lot of regionality. I'm also putting curry rice on. It's a staple. It's something that looks like dog poo that tastes delicious. 
It does. Tastes like that. Di- looks like diarrhea. <laughs> it does, look like, it does look like diarrhea. <laughs> diarrhea looks like that. Go see a doctor. Yeah, it looks like diarrhea. <laughs> oh my god! But it's delicious. It's delicious. I'm putting Heine's chicken rice. Oh shit! Yep. I'm not putting jambalaya on. <gasps> I know. I'm not. Why? Because I personally would rather have gumbo with a side of rice. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah. You know, I just don't. Again, like, I don't under. To me, jambalaya is gumbo uh-huh. with rice cooked into it. <laughs> <laughs> I want the choice to, like, add it on. Okay. I should say jollof rice because that's what, if you're, like, a food writer today, they're mm-hmm. all saying jollof rice, yeah. even though they don't know much, too much about it. Mm-hmm. And I should say jollof rice because I think it's delicious, but I don't know enough about jollof rice. Other yeah. than the Nigerian version is the better one. <laughs> just a joke. Just a joke. Yeah, oh, man. That, that yeah, that's like, going to get us trouble. That's going to get me in real trouble. <laughs> but jollof rice is delicious, too. But I think that jollof rice, to me, tastes a lot like Oroz Compoyo, too. I love it. There's a lot of similar elements. A lot yeah. of similar elements. And it's not a surprise that it's very similar to the jambalaya, too, to, right. my, to my degree. But very different. Don't get mad at me. Yeah. But not only because I haven't had enough jollof rice. I've had it a handful of times. Uh-huh. And... I'm only talking about things that I've had many times in my life. The number one rice dish for me in all of the world is Popeye's red beans and rice. <laughs> Seriously? Yeah. Damn. Yeah. It is the best rice dish in my life. <laughs> Popeye's red beans and rice is the best rice dish in the world. And I... I, I tell no lies here. Um, oh my god! I, I but basically here's the deal: anything that's rice is delicious. Yes, just saying that out there. We're, we're having fun. I I would put jambalaya. No, I'm not trying to lump it all together. But for me, just because I've had arroz con pollo hundreds of times, I that style. So I'm putting rice into styles: things that are cooked together in stock, things that, you know, what did I say? Curry rice. That flavor is unique. Uh, biryani, very different, very pungent, very aromatic. It's awesome. It's cooked together. What else did I say? Curry rice, biryani. You had the, uh, I don't know if you're going to count the gumbo Hainanese. with rice. Hainanese chicken rice. Uh, the, let's see. Oros con pollo. Oros con pollo. Yeah, and then the Popeyes. Popeyes. Red beans and rice. A lot of imitators, myself included. <laughs> never really, never really hit the hit the mark perfectly. That's wild. Yeah. Oh my gosh, that's your number one, man. Even though I'm, I'm saying this objectively, Popeyes literally stole our like old Fuku marketing sl- slogan. We're open <laughs> on Sundays. <laughs> that's how you know I'm telling the truth. Like fuck Popeyes, but that's how much I love red beans and rice. Yeah, it's a banger. It's a banger. All right, they're all good. Everybody wins. Everyone gets a trophy. All right. <laughs> you know who doesn't win? Risotto. <laughs> We're yeah, in so I'm much so deep nervous. shit, dude. <laughs> anyway, give us five stars. I'll talk to you later. Dave, who are you scared about in regards to risotto? Is risotto mafia like a oh thing? Oh, like, yeah. <laughs> like, literally, my friends are like the best chefs in Italy. And I'm going to just keep in there. Like, as I can. Just keep this in there. I don't know what to do when I'm served at a home or a restaurant and it's like their thing. Risotto is such a personal dish in Italy. 
It is love. But I find that when I taste it, it doesn't taste unconditional. It tastes like conditional love to me. <laughs> when, when I taste risotto, it doesn't taste like the love that I want. It tastes like my dad. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> like it, it just is. It's like, I'm like, every time I'm like, God, I, what do I not understand about this? What do I not understand about risotto that I'm like, it's just so crunchy. I don't like it. <laughs> I, don't, I just don't like it. I don't like al dente risotto. Cook that shit some more. <laughs> I, I hate how that analogy works on such a deep level. It's like, I put it all this work, like stirring and it starches out, like toasting that's, it. Yeah, but that's what makes risotto so hard is like, it's such a conundrum. It's a real moral conundrum because... <laughs> When it's made for you with love, it's it's just like, I'm making you, this is just how we've done it for generations, and it's like the best, and you're supposed to like it. Right. But I can't. <laughs> I can't like it. Well, shout out to your Italian chef friends. I didn't, uh, Mafia was a portrait, so words for that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, sorry, guys. Just Cosa Nostra. Better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right.